Would you turn your Bibles to Psalm 142? Psalm 142. Now, there are two cave psalms in the Bible. Two cave psalms. Psalms that were written when David was in the cave. One is Psalm 57, and the other is this psalm, Psalm 142. Now, I want us to understand the context of what is happening here. This is David running, as it were. Saul is pursuing him. He actually says, I'm like a bird that's been hunted. And this Psalm 142 is one of those psalms. And he is weary. He is tired. And he writes this psalm. But he's also lonely. In fact, there are about 400 people. You know, we read that 400 of these runaways are there with him. And yet, David is feeling lonely. He's not alone, but he's feeling lonely. And it's in that situation these two psalms are written. The two psalms are short psalms, and I guess in the cave you can't write much. It's a short psalm. But there is a beautiful pattern to the psalm. It begins with a cry. It begins with a complaint, Lord, I need your help, I need your help. And then it ends with praise and with celebration. So his behavior is not often as one who has this complaint and is weary and, and um, the way we sometimes respond to. It's not. So the million-dollar question is, what makes David do what he's doing? What's his response? How is his response so different? That's the question we want to ask. But also, I want us to, you know, I, I was grappling with how to title the psalm. I first thought I should call it the cave alone uh, because he's alone. But being relevant to the Christmas season, relevant because uh, during this Christmas time, there are going to be many among us who are going to be lonely and that they are lonely through Christmas because either they're grieving or because they don't have anyone. And so then the question is to us as, as a church, what are we going to do for those who are alone? I also want to answer the question, if you are lonely, if you're grieving, how do you go through this season? which is supposed to be a time of celebration. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of, you know, joy. And we might put this veneer of joy in the outside, but our hearts are aching. And our hearts are going out. Our, our heart needs to go out to those people, to those who are lonely. Because if Christmas is about celebration, it should come without exclusion. So will you turn with me, therefore, to Psalm 142 as I read the psalm. Would I, can I invite you to just stand up with me as I read the psalm? Psalm 142, a masculine of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. 
I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way in the path where I walk. They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of the prison that I may give thanks to your name. And listen to this. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. I was told as I was reading um, an article, and that's what caught my attention. It has said that four million people in UK are going to be alone this Christmas. These are shut-ins, these are elderly, these are sick, and also those who are self-imposed isolated. They themselves, you know, cause this to them. And I don't have statistics for North America, but I don't think it's very much different from the situation here. But I came across a magazine, uh, the Time magazine, the latest uh, Time magazine had this cover, the world moves on and you don't. The, the pictures of those on that cover are parents of those who lost their children to school shooting. And they say we are in a society, we have formed a group that no one wants to join. It's true. You see, the the, I, the, the one thing that we must remember for these grieving and those lonely is Christmas is coming, but no one else is. No one else comes to meet them. No one else comes to encourage them. And, and so today, as I share from the psalm, I think there are two groups of people that we are addressing. One are the lonely. Group one is the one who are lonely during this Christmas and group two is the one who can help group, group one. I refer to us as a church, as a community, as individuals, as members in this body. What is it that we can do? And so this is my prayer. My prayer for us as a, as a, as a church is that this Christmas season, our fellowship would be real and rich to feed the souls of the lonely, a rich and a real fellowship that reaches out to the hearts of those people. So let me just put a context to what I, what I refer to as loneliness and, uh, and, and grieving. Grieving can also cause loneliness. So it's almost synonymous in the way I want to look at it today. You see, first of all, loneliness is more than just a mere feeling of isolation. It is not just that you don't have any human companionship. There is a term called chronic loneliness. A chronic loneliness is something which really is the sickness of the soul sometimes. It's about, it's the emotion of the soul. Like David, who, though there were 400 people, he still feeds, feels lonely. In Psalm 102, verse 7, he puts it so well. He says, I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow. 
on a housetop, a lonely sparrow on a housetop. Uh, Thought Company on an article calls it the toothache of the soul, the toothache of the soul. It's an emotional pain. There is this feeling to be understood. There is this feeling to be accepted. But just like a toothache, if you don't take care of it, it gets worse. Therefore, I want us to understand this loneliness, this chronic loneliness especially, can be fatal physically and emotionally. You see, there is this uh, research that came out, and in that research it said loneliness was associated with a risk of early death. It's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, lethal than obesity, and in contrast, those who connect with people have 50% reduced chance of early death. That is, people who feel lonely, they intentionally seek out companionship, fellowship. And I ask myself, this church is the one that can provide that fellowship and reach out and, and cause and help, so why not? Therefore comes this heart-piercing question this Christmas. What do we do for the lonely? Especially because it is dangerous because it's a threat to the spiritual health. Let me give you two citations that, that says that loneliness can be dangerous to your spiritual health. First one is from the focus on the family. It says spiritually, loneliness and grief can be dangerous if not managed properly. Yet the cure for overcoming grief is not, the lo- not to be lonely. It's crucial to accept, listen to this, it's crucial to accept support rather than to grieve alone. And biblical counselor in an article, Grief, Your Time Has Come, says an unending grieving process or loneliness is an open invitation for the stronghold of heaviness. We, we, we are so naturally tuned that when we grieve or when we have the sense of loneliness, we isolate ourselves further. And that's a dangerous thing spiritually. How do we tend to deal with loneliness? Our first response is to self-medicate. We, we try home remedies. You know, we go on a binge watch. You know, Netflix is earning money out of us. We go into this forced shut-ins. We don't want to talk to anybody. We don't want to deal with anybody. We isolate ourselves. Uh, or we go into those unhealthy levels of sleeping in. Self-medicate. Or... We try to force our minds to forget. We try just hard not to think about it. And I'll tell you, I mean, I'll give you a personal example of something that we learned. Many years ago, we lost our second baby, who would have been our second baby, to um, um, uh, what do you call that? Miscarriage. And if you know me, you would know that I was, we were so eagerly waiting and I just so wanted another baby, at least two. And on the day when we heard the news, our very close friends 
came out to spend time with us. And they did it by distracting us in, in keeping us involved and so that we would just forget about the situation. And when they left, we carried on that template. We continued to distract ourselves with activities, with things that we didn't want to think about this pain. It wasn't a good way. Even now we talk about it, Joyce and I, we speak about this because how we grieved alone and separately. We didn't turn to each other. But we tend to do that. Grieve individually and we become more lonely. It's like, uh, you know, when you have an open wound that needs to be cared for, somehow we think if I don't think about it, it'll take care of itself. That's what loneliness is. How does a society show us as a template that we deal with loneliness? In their book, Grieve Recovery Handbook, John James and Frank Cherry write about a story, and they speak about Johnny and his dog that died. He was five years old. This dog was very close to him as a companion. Uh, the dog would sleep at his, uh, uh, by his bed and always spending time together, and now the dog has died, and he's inconsolable. He, he, he is just bawling his eyes out. And the father, very tentatively says, Johnny, that's all right. This coming Saturday, we'll get you another dog. And they say, the authors are saying, that in that one sentence, Johnny's father gave him the two-step process of how to grieve. Replace your losses. Forget your loss and replace your loss. Two steps. We, we, we think we can, you know, we, we can just, all we have to do is just, okay, don't think about it, get something else. But that, again, is a terrible idea. We know that um, when we make choices, when we are emotionally upstaged, it's usually disastrous. We're not rational, we're not thinking properly, we've isolated ourselves. I think about... Uh, Britney Spears and her 55-hour marriage in Las Vegas. And so what does the Bible say? What's the biblical template? I want to give you four things before we get to uh, look at the psalm itself, the biblical template, the four lessons. First, I want us to know Community is God's idea. It is God's idea. We are made in the image of a relational God. We are meant for communities. We don't thrive in loneliness. John Milton put it really well when he said, loneliness was the first thing that God's eye named not good. And David understood this truth. In Psalm 68, verse 6, it's written, God settles the solitary in a home. It's God's idea that we be in community. Even though now we come to Christ individually, we keep repeating ourselves again and again. He brings us into a body. He brings us into uh, being a member of that body. He come, brings us into community, into fellowship. It's God's idea. I want us to understand. 
Second, sin causes intentional isolation and loneliness. Intentional isolation and loneliness. I'm thinking about the story of Cain. In Genesis 4, you know what happened, and God confronts him and says, Cain, all you have to do is just confess. You, you know, if, you, if you recognize your sin and you confess, you, you know, that's what it takes. But sin is crouching. It'll take control of you. But Cain was not willing to do that. And that, that you know, uh, interaction ends with Cain isolating himself from God and from God's people. We read that in, in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. The way we, you know, when we have sin and we refuse to deal with sin, we isolate ourselves. That's one indication of loneliness and intentional isolation. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer has to say. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him or her from the community. And the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will the power of sin be over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. You see, what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying, sin wants to isolate you. And the more you isolate yourself, the more deeper you go into sin. That's exactly what we see as a pattern in, in the Bible and in most lives. Because we value our privacy. Listen to this. We value our privacy to such an extent that it's become a God and it makes us falsely believe that isolation is the best way to insulate ourselves. That isolation is insulation is wrong. I want us to understand. We, we, we think that, right? I mean, as long as I don't have to deal with people, talk to people, I just want to, you know, sort things out. This isolation is the first step Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, is how the, the devil and the flesh and the world would get you into so that they can cause you into more sin. Third, I want us to understand grief and loneliness are universal. Christians are not immune to grief and to loneliness. To be alone or to grieve is not the uh, outside of those who know Christ because side B of love is grief. That is, if you love somebody, you will grieve. I want us to understand that because, you know, something's happened. You've lost. You will feel lonely. We live in a world which causes such situations to arise. We tend to ask ourselves, is God angry with me? Why am I going through such grief? Why am I so lonely? Why is it that I can't seem to get into a, into a healthy relationship with the community? And I want us to know, I want us to understand, it is not, the, it's not that God is angry with us. That's the short answer. But you need to check and affirm for yourself that you're right with God. also want us to remember the most important thing, that we don't need to be lonely if we are in Christ Jesus. You see, Christmas is a reminder. We did this during the 
Christmas dinner, right? Emmanuel. Christmas is a reminder God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. And with him, we don't need to be lonely. With him, with God on our side, we don't need to be on need to sense that, like, I understand God is with me, but does he really understand me? Yes, Jesus Christ understands you because in every way, in this human way, he experienced grief and he experienced loneliness. We read that in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's our God. He knows. That's why we say we have a high priest. We read that, do we not? That we have a high priest. Or we don't have, we do not have a high priest who cannot uh, uh, feel our infirmities. No, we do. And because of Jesus Christ's cross, which is supposed to be the, the, the symbol of loneliness, is now for a symbol, not, not to us, a symbol of relationship. It should have been to us when we look at that and say, oh, how lonely. It reminds us of a God who came down as man and took our place so that relationships can be restored. So we ask ourselves this question, what would David do? Besides saying the bracelet, WWDD, that's what the psalm is about. How did he deal with this? What did he do? I want to draw for you four things from this. First, verses one and two. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead my mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. He turns to God in desperate and fervent prayer. His response is turning to God in prayer. Someone said this really well. When in trouble, do you run to the phone or to the throne? I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that, right? We see David turn to God in prayer, recognizing that he is the only one who can help put context to the circumstance, to the grief, to the sorrow, to the situation. His I want you to notice he complains to God, but not about God. His emotion is unrestrained as he pours out his heart. He is a God who can take your unrestrained emotion as you bring your Christ and complains to him. He listens to us. Verse 3, the second one, he trusts God for wisdom. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. You see, David is not saying, oh, I need to figure things out. I need to take some time out and just figure things out. And David is saying, I just can't figure this way out. It's like booby trap. It's like walking through a minefield. How do I know what next step do I take? But God, you know my path. I'm going to trust your wisdom. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm reminded of um, the last crusade, the uh, 
Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, you know, in the one where he has to figure out the the uh, riddles as he, you know, as he's trying to take a step. And David says, "I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm no Indiana Jones. I. I need God. I need your God." And what he does is he does not follow his own heart, but he follows that of God's heart. We have said this repeatedly, right? I mean, uh, the world's template is follow your heart. You know, follow your heart. Seek your heart out. You know, that, that, that's what he's called to do. And God's word says, no, don't follow your heart. It's deceitful above all else. And wicked, utterly wicked. Turn to God. Seek his wisdom. And David does that. The third one, he takes God at his word. Verse 4 and 5. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. So what does he do? I cry to you, O God. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He is this utterly the utter sense of loneliness. He is disgraced. No one takes notice of me. Like nobody knows if I'm here or not. I'm so invisible to people. And I'm defenseless. I don't have any refuge. But you, O God, are my refuge. You alone are the one I can turn to. And I'm disregarded. No one cares for my soul. That's what David is saying. That's his experience. And in that depth of his experience, he looks to God and he says, Oh God, I trust you. His unwavering trust in God's word. This is God's word. If God has made a promise to us that he's going to be with us to the ends of the world, we often say that for the evangelism, but you know that's his truth. He is with us. I want us to know that. Listen to this. True trust, true trust, or true trust, or true faith is when your reality is God's word and not your circumstance. Do you know what that means? It means to say that I, I know this is to be true, but when, what I see with my eye of, of the situation that I'm in and the condition that I'm in, that is not what's going to upstage God's word. I trust God's word. I trust his wisdom. I know that he's the one who's going to show me the path. He's the one I'm going to turn to. That's what David does. The fourth thing, verse 6 and 7. I'll read to you the latter part of verse 7, which says, The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with, with, with me. Hear him. I will give thanks to your name because of me. The godly will assemble. You see, uh, David's deliverance causes the godly to praise the Lord. And that's the essence of true fellowship, isn't it? Like when, when we are struggling, when we have situations, when we feel whatever we're going through, and then we come alongside and help them and encourage them and strengthen them. And then when they are delivered out of that, it's a rejoicing for all of us. And that's exactly what David is saying. It's, he comes to this community, the joy of fellowship. If I can put this in my own words, it'll be like viewing my cause as their own. They will glorify God 
in my deliverance. The psalmist who begins lonely is now rejoicing with God's children. So this principle, I want us to get this principle. You see, God's solution for loneliness and grief for his children is his children. God's solution for those among us who are lonely and grieving in NLBC is the people at NLBC. So ask this question to us as a church. What difference are we going to make this Christmas? For the lonely, I want to say, you know, that God, who causes all things to work together for good, even the loneliness he uses in as an ingredient in his recipe to conform us to the image of his son. I don't know how so much pain is needed for uh, that God would need that to work on me. But as I think as a human, that if I need to be conformed to the image of his son, I can see the amount of 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 pain of having to release and to submit and to give of myself to him is needed. Laura's story in her song, Blessings, says this, cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights, those of us who, who have counted up to a thousand sleepless nights, what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you are near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? That when everything else is stripped away, that I feel utterly lonely, I can sense and feel the presence of my God with me, and for that I'm thankful. That is what David says. That is what we can say. So what did David do? He turned to God in prayer. He trusted God for wisdom. He takes God at his word, and he is now thankful in the midst of God's people. But I want to spend some time talking to us as ones who can care. What is it that we can care, and how is it that we can care? I want to, I want to walk you through quickly three things that we can do. Include, induce, instill. Include, induce, instill. One is include. Uh, this is the practice of Luke chapter 14, verse 12 to 14, where it says, you know, when you invite people, don't invite people who can invite you back. There's no blessing in that. But look out. Look out for those who cannot invite you back. And in that, include those who are lowly and grieving. And so look out and see who has God brought into your life that you can include. Because in this season of their loneliness, they're not able to invite you back. Include them. I wanted to say, you know, I want to call this act, take a tract. I should have had a tract to give you, but the idea is this. Sometimes we feel, I, I, I don't know, I'm not just talking about the community here, but those, of, those who you will interact in the grocery store as the, 
as the uh, hairstylist is working on your hair or whatever it is. They, they've got, they have to deal with you. You have this moment of eternity. And so you're like, I, I, I'm not very comfortable to, to open this conversation on the gospel. You know what you can do? You can just say, hey, I'll be spending some time praying. What is it that you want me to pray for you when I pray? That's a good way to start. And give them this track. Pick up tracks. There are tracks outside. Give. Have this conversation. A year is ending. And there are among us who are lonely without Christ. Lonely for eternity. Lonely through eternity. Induce. Second is induce. I want this, this, this is to provoke people to be accountable. Pursue them to join in. And so that even though when they don't like it, that you have pursued them and you have included them. You go out of your way. I know I'm guilty often of this as I say this, that you, know, you try once, you try twice, and then you're just like, okay, they want some space, and you just let them go. But no, provoke them to good works. That's what God's word is saying. Because they need to go past this barrier of loneliness and, and grief. And, and so it's not personal against you as much as they're trying to cope this grief within them. And thirdly, instill. Instill a love for God and for his people. Instill a habit to run to God as your first response. All of us that God would be the refuge, just as David was saying here, that, oh God, when I look around, I look to my right, there's nobody, there's no one, but you, oh God, are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. So how will this Christmas be different? Will we just make it about ourselves? Or will we look beyond ourselves to look to people who need this companionship that we enjoy in Christ and with his people, that it could be distributed, it can be shared with those around us. And I want you to take some time to to pray, to commit, as you think through who are some of the people who, who, who are in your life that you can make a difference to this Christmas and that it will be a habit for us as we move on to the next year. What are the trials of this life? The rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise. And I want to turn it the other way to say that what if those of us who can help, the group too, that if God were to use you as his channel for the mercies to these. Let's begin this Christmas. So I want, to take, I want you to take about 30 seconds as you pray and commit and say, Lord, we have heard, we have heard enough sermons during the year and and there comes a time when God is saying, what are you going to do? What have you done with what you've heard? And so let's start with a commitment to say, Lord, this Christmas, I want it to be different. As I celebrate, I celebrate with a company of your people, along with those who grieve and who are lonely, especially those 
who are lonely for lonely through eternity. Father God, we want to thank you that you, a God who said it's not good for man to be alone, would let your son be alone on the cross, that he would experience what loneliness and what grief is, and, and that as we trust him as one who is our answer, a solution to what we face in this world, grief and and isolation and separation and loneliness and, and trying to figure out a lot for ourselves the, this, this complex thing called life. Even as David would say, it feels like a minefield. I can't seem to know, I, can't, I don't know what steps to take, but I know, as he says, I will turn to you for you know my path. You know the steps I need to take. And we pray therefore, Lord, those among us and those who you brought to our reminder, uh, to our remembrance of those who among us are grieving and are lonely, Lord. That, that we will commit therefore, Lord, that we will reach out to them, that we would be for them, Lord, as ones who would be the channels of mercy, that they will see Christ in and through us. That for them, Christmas would really be about Christ, the one who came down, Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray, Lord, that as a community, as you have placed us here, we look around, Lord, and, and on the circles of influence that you have placed us, there are so many who still call out, Lord, in the anguish of their loneliness and their grief. And we pray that he would bring us to those people, that the light of the gospel would, would reveal to them the, the, uh, the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they will know, Lord, that there is a God who's concerned about them in a very intimate way. We thank you, we love you, thank you for all that you've been to us, and uh, we commit, Lord, our week ahead to you. We pray that our lives, our conversations, our thoughts, and all that we are is acceptable and well-pleasing in your sight because of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.